Chapter Twelve of Clog Shop Chronicles by John Ackworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Vaulting Ambition One The O'Leaping. The clogger sat at a table under his parlour window, with Fleetwood's Life of Christ open before him as a writing pad, a very short stumpy pen in his hand, smudges of ink on his fingers and lips, and an irritated, indignant look on his rugged countenance seated in a chair beside him and bending so intently over him as to seriously incommode him and thus intensify his anger was a long thin-faced woman of nearly his own age who wore under her shawl the brat of the ordinary card-room factory hand which still had traces of cotton rovings upon it this was rachel warmsley jabe's cousin a widow who lived by herself in one of the small cottages between the chapel and the fold farm the two were occupied in writing a letter which was a very serious business as the clogger hated writing and rachel could not even read the letter was intended for the widow's only son richard a young doctor in london rachel usually wrote about once in three months using jabe as an amanuensis and the composition of the letter generally produced a fierce conflict between the two jabe to whom the task was utterly abhorrent was always bitterly sarcastic about some of the things dictated to him and immovably obstinate about others whilst rachel was tormented with the suspicion that jabe was not quite as scholarly as he pretended to be and that her instructions to him were freely translated and often cruelly abbreviated by the penman to save trouble the writing of this letter therefore was generally the occasion of a battle royal out of which jabe usually came with a complete loss of temper and self-respect vowing with fierce resolution i'll niver write another while my heart's warm on the present occasion however the letter was of more than usual interest and rachel was therefore more than usually trying and jabe was already in a high fever of irritation and disgust there exclaimed the widow as jabe having over-dipped his pen made a black spot on the letter and then tried to remove it by using the end of his finger as a blotting-pad that's the third blotch to neat one upon every page that's a bonny letter to go to a london doctor isn't it how can i help it with thee mauling about me shouted jabe thou max me over whacker whacker ay that's ill temper thou ne'er had a grain o' patience since all knowed thee temper of all the aggravating but the clogger stopped took off his spectacles laid down his stumpy pen moved his chair from the table and relighting an unfinished pipe puffed away in grim silence his weak member rocking up and down over the knee of the other leg at a frantic rate rachel knowing well with whom she had to do and quite unaccustomed to demonstrations of this kind waited quietly for some time during which jabe sitting with his back to her gave vent every now and then to an angry snort at length at length she said mildly ah rutchart thinks a seat o thee jabe another snort from the clogger and a resumption of violent leg exercise he'll be home afore long na and there'll be nobry prader on him no thee jabe the smoke began to puff from jabe's pipe in short rapid whiffs didn't tha read as he were thinking o settling among his own folk in beckside jabe nah i'll tell thee what rachel cried the clogger rising to his feet and limping to the table 
host finish this letter if it drives me madlet but mind thee host write no more neither for thee nor your rutchet and with a visage of adamantine resolution the clogger picked up his pen and sat down again before fleetwood demanding snappishly as he did so what's the next tell him for to mind what he's doing with them london wenches they're a force lot and but i've told him that already now there hasna then o said it the last time ay but that's three months in the nose three months way i've told him that i every letter i've written this last five year does think the lad's soft ay but it'd be an awful thing jabez if he brought a foreigner to beckside londoners aren't a foreigners thou lumpyhead thou'll be going the super a foreigner next because he comes fro london tell him there's some gradely nice wenches in beckside and beckside shouted the clogger rising out of his chair once more in amazement and indignation dost think there's ony wench in beckside as is fit for a london doctor he'll live in a big house woman wi a brass knocker upon the door and a servant lass and he'll want a wife as can talk fine and play the piano and visit the quality for a moment a look of exulting pride stood on the faded face of the widow but it disappeared instantly and in its place came a look of alarm which developed rapidly into intense anxiety she leaned back in her chair her thin face became ashy pale and at last she said quietly and huskily his mother'll show him, him then jay banged the pen down on the book before him and cried out in exasperated despairing tones eh dear and then suddenly turning on rachel he continued if your dick's ever shawmed of his mother the longworth blood's bred out on him that's all shawmed of his mother his mother's a matherin owd maddlin ever to think o sich a thing but the thought was evidently a new one to rachel and rapidly took root in her mind she became so occupied with it in fact that jabe had no further difficulty in getting his task finished and was too rejoiced thereat to notice the deeply pensive look on his cousin's face rachel had called at the clog shop on her way home from the mill and when she reached her own cottage the shadow caused by the words of jabe deepened on her face and tears dropped upon the highly polished fire-irons as she made and lighted the fire when she sat down to tea it proved a long and melancholy meal she had been made a widow by a mill accident some twenty years before and had been left with one child a bright little fellow of six several offers of marriage had been made to her but she had peremptorily refused all and lived alone with her child who spent all his time at aunt judy's when his mother was at the mill richard had grown up a fine sharp boy of more than ordinary promise and so when he was about fourteen and had long been pestering his mother to allow him to go to work like other boys rachel had got jabe to write to her brother-in-law a tradesman in manchester to inquire if he knew of an opening for the lad james warmsley came to see richard and his own old home at beckside took a great fancy to his fatherless nephew and finally took him back with him but instead of finding him a situation he had sent him to school again and kept him there then he discovered that dick had a strong wish to be a doctor and so after many consultations with rachel he was sent to a college and after a successful career had qualified some years previous to the time of which we write and the letter to which the one which had caused jabe so much trouble was the reply 
had informed his mother that he was going a long sea voyage as a ship's surgeon and that on his return he intended to come back to his native village and try to establish a practice in the neighbourhood now all this had been marrow and fatness to the widow she had feared he would never come back and settle among his own years ago when on one of his rare visits she had hinted at it uncle james had shaken his head and quoted the text about the prophet in his own country and then she was haunted by a terrible dread of his marrying some foreigner and thus putting another barrier between them but the fact that her heart's idol would not be the same simple merry boy she had given up long ago with such terrible pangs but a fine gentleman with quality ways and refined tastes had never presented itself to her exactly as it did as the result of jabe's words she was no sort of companion for a gentleman she saw instantly and she did not hide from herself that she would probably be a serious hindrance to him in society and also by her unfitness to manage his house and preside at his table drive him into that very matrimonial market from which she longed to keep him for over twenty years she had worked and screwed and waited sustained always by the dream of a strong clever prosperous son to love her and do her honour and now the dream vanished into thin air when he became a medical student she had given up all hope of his ever settling in his native village and now when her dearest wish was about to be fulfilled and her boy was coming home she felt she must begin a remorseless process of self-undeception and give up all she had lived for she blamed herself for not having thought of all this before she understood now why rutchart had pressed her so often in his letters of late to give up going to the mill he had told her over and over again in words that were milk and honey to her that he was not of the marrying sort and now he would be compelled to wed because his mother was not fit to manage a house with a brass knocker on the door and a servant lass in the kitchen it was a long sad evening for poor rachel and when she retired to rest it was but to toss and roll about in perplexity and utter disappointment next night however jabe noticed her pass the shop with a firmness of gait which was expressive of some change for the better in her mental condition and after partaking of tea she fettled up the house rather more carefully than usual and went out to class coming down the brew from the meeting she invited the schoolmistress to make one of her occasional calls. The call included a soup of tea and a bit of apple pasty. Whilst they were sitting at the table, Rachel said suddenly, Larnin's a fine thing, miss. Yes, said the mistress, wondering what was the precise purpose of the remark. How owd and folk for to be afore they stop and larnin? The younger the better, of course. But people are never too old to learn, you know, Mrs. Walmsley. Aye but you canna teach an owd dog ony new tricks oh yes we may all learn where there's a will there's a way you know but whilst the mistress was wondering what the conversation was intended to lead up to rachel suddenly changed the topic by asking are you comfortable lodging with bob turner well fairly comfortable they do their best for me would you like for to stop with me if o gav up goin to the shop rachel's house was a tempting little nest of a place almost painfully clean better furnished than most and surrounded back and front with an old-fashioned little garden which had often excited miss redford's envy rachel watched her visitor's face very narrowly as she asked her question and saw instantly how welcome the change would be 
and so without waiting for her reply she said i want you to come and live with me and at steed o' paying me out yon to lar me to be a lady an exclamation of surprise and amusement broke from the mistress's lips but before she could reply rachel had drawn her chair up close to her and was pouring into her ears the perennial story of our rutchart adding however this time several fresh items about his approaching homecoming her own dislike of foreigners and especially foreign women and her desire to fettle herself up so as to have some hope of keeping house for the doctor they talked for a long time the schoolmistress evidently shrinking from the proposed task and also objecting strenuously to the other terms of the arrangement but rachel would have her way you mun larm me manners and how to talk fine and to read and write and you mun show me how to titivate the arse up and mak it a bit like a london arse persisted the older woman and in the end without the least faith as to the result and with an uneasy sense of the ridiculous in the matter miss redford consented to join rachel in her little home now nobody was surprised when rachel left the mill some even expressed the opinion that she ought to have done it long since as it was well known she had saved a tidy bit everybody approved also of her taking the schoolmistress to live with her for in the opinion of beckside nothing was too good for that young lady of course the precise purpose of the new arrangement was carefully concealed and it was only when it began to bear unexpected kinds of fruit that the neighbours remarked upon it one sunday morning rachel appeared at chapel with a gorgeously bound hymn-book which she made a show of using during the singing and sam speck actually stopped in the middle of a fine bass run as his eyes fell on the widow using a hymn-book as big as the pulpit one but much handsomer and pretending to read it through gold-rimmed spectacles a week or two later she appeared in that surest sign of feminine greatness a watered silk dress to which was added a little later a fashionable mantle but the climax of outrageous innovation was reached when rachel began to call her neighbours mr and mrs and to speak in a ridiculous mixture of dialect and fine talk now it must not be supposed that the schoolmistress was responsible for all this she saw it with pain and shame when the widow persisted in her first proposals miss redford had acquiesced in the hope of being able in a quiet way to render her friends some assistance or at any rate to prevent her exposing herself to ridicule but she was soon in deep water rachel gave up learning to write after the third lesson and proved but slow in acquiring power to read in the art of making a fair show in the flesh however she effectually proved her true womanhood by comprehending and carrying out with astounding aptitude the gentle hints given by her instructress before long indeed she got out of leading strings altogether took to going to duxbury every week where she bought her own garments and was able to study at first hand the manners of the ladies she met with and even produced afterwards slightly grotesque imitations of their toilets the mistress's efforts were confined almost entirely to checking rachel's immoderate zeal though once she went the length of openly opposing the purchase of an outrageous bonnet which a duxbury milliner had called so ladylike they disagreed most of all perhaps on questions of colour miss redford's diplomatic resources were strained to the utmost to prevent glaring offences and she was driven back more frequently than she liked upon her one argument that never failed 
i am sure the doctor wouldn't like it it must not be supposed that beckside was indifferent to these things they were intermittently absorbing themes of conversation and the mangle house which was to beckside women what the clog shop was to the men rachel's sudden rush into fashion was constantly canvassed and unhesitatingly condemned and her manners and newly adopted modes of speech called forth all lottie speck's unrivalled powers of mimicry at the clog shop the subject was discussed under difficulties for rachel was the clogger's cousin and for a time it was not known how he regarded the matter whilst jabe himself was too much disgusted to allude to it hints however were constantly being thrown out and when one night jabe said a word or two which seemed to invite discussion on the subject he was told so many things that he boiled over with indignation next day he called on the widow with his temper very insecurely under control as he opened the door and stepped as usual over the threshold he noticed with rising scorn that the once carefully sanded floor was now covered with new carpet ay he began in withering tones but before he could proceed he was met with the startling rebuke jabez longworth you should knock when you comes into folks houses arrested thus suddenly in his progress and overwhelmed with what he saw and heard jabez stood in the middle of the room and glared around in speechless astonishment slowly his gaze focused itself upon rachel and transfixing her with an annihilating glare he cried that pride brussen me more in feathercock ow madeline tha what's up with thee but rachel was on her dignity and so bridling up she returned his fiery glare with interest and replied betraying her excitement by dropping into dialect if tha's ony manners thou'll take thy cap off in folks arses the clogger stood back a step surveyed rachel slowly and deliberately from head to foot and then with a tremendous thump on the table with his horny fist he cried ay or tak me cap off and misel too and rachel he continued after a moment's pause thou never had much sense but sin thou sowed thy soul to worldly pride thou's lost what bit thy head good morning mrs wormsley and taking off his cap he made her an elaborate mock bow and stalked haughtily out of the house but rachel was not to be turned from her purpose her dread of being an embarrassment to her son and her fear of driving him into marriage with the daughter of the philistines acted as a stimulant to her energies but while she certainly advanced rapidly in some things her language was a bewildering medley and her sunday outfit was fearfully and wonderfully made at last there came a letter from the young doctor to say that he had landed at southampton and was going to london for a few days but would be home in about a week rachel heard the schoolmistress read of the going to london with a pang but soon forgot it in the excitement of preparation to welcome her boy then came a second letter to say that richard would reach duxbury station by the four nineteen train on thursday and for two nights poor rachel never slept every few minutes she was asking her lodger if she thought the doctor as miss redford always called him would like this or that article of dress or furniture and the young lady was glad to have that opportunity of correcting several things which offended her taste on the subject of personal adornment however the elder woman was still untractable 
and though the mistress's influence secured the omission of the more glaring ornaments the proud mother was still more than sufficiently gorgeous when she started off in a trap specially hired from duxbury to meet her son now that the time had come she felt little of the elation she had expected but in its place a nervous apprehension she found it difficult to account for she was now certain that her boy would be too grand a fellow to care much for a factory-hand mother whom he had only seen twice during the last seven years and that since mixing in such grand society there would be nothing in beckside to satisfy him would he admire her plum-coloured satin dress in which she was meeting him she was sure miss redford had been mistaken in recommending that plain shawl instead of the grand mantle but at any rate she had her gold guard on and so she arrived at the station in a flurry of anxious misgivings rachel had all a countrywoman's dread of trains and stood a long way back when the express came in in a moment she saw her son oh what a fine fellow what a fine beard he had grown here he comes he has seen her but after a hasty glance he looks further down the platform he doesn't know her then he turns towards her again she starts forward with a cry and in a moment he has hugged her to his heart but after a long hearty embrace the young doctor holds her from him glances perplexedly at her grand outfit and seems uneasy and a shade disappointed she fears during the ride home though he talked freely as of old he seemed to be always looking at some part of her apparel and appeared a trifle flat and disappointed and even she thought distant but in a few moments rachel had something else to think about the day had been very warm but during the last hour it had become sultry and thundery just as they were reaching the top of the hill out of duxbury the rain began to fall and in a few minutes it was pouring down rachel had forgotten her umbrella that is she had left it at home because it was not fine enough the doctors had been left behind with his luggage to come by squire taylor's cart there was no shelter near and the driver had scarcely any wraps such as he had were hastily dragged from under the seat and wrapped round her shoulders but in spite of all the poor widow reached home in a drenched and draggled condition the schoolmistress met them at the door and exclaimed as she saw their soaked clothes but as it was still raining heavily they made haste to get indoors and the doctor insisted that mother should go and change at once but in the bedroom another scene took place rachel was disappointed and thoroughly out of temper and obstinately insisted on putting on her watered silk but the schoolmistress having taken her measure of the doctor insisted that the widow's ordinary black stuff was the proper thing and was so firm that rachel had most unwillingly to give in by the time she was ready to go down again she felt sick of the whole affair and more than a little ashamed and came into the wee parlour with a very penitent look on her face the doctor was stooping down pulling on an elastic-sided boot as she entered but on hearing her footsteps he lifted his head a look of surprised delight suddenly shone on his bronzed face and jumping forward he seized her in his great arms and giving her a tremendous hug he cried dropping quite naturally into the purest beckside dialect ay oh the fine lady had a trap with me but this is my gradely owd mother End of chapter 12